This is the Coast and Country podcast from the BBC. You can find the terms and conditions on our website at bbc.co.uk forward slash radio 4. Today you can hear Open Country with Helen Mark. We cover so much of the countryside when we're making Open Country. And on the travels, I never cease to be amazed by how many little churches we come across along the way. These buildings of all sorts of shapes and sizes, some with really squat towers, others with great spires that reach up and a weather vane on the top. You know, you pass them and they're gone. But you can't help but think, you know, those buildings have been there some of them for centuries and centuries. So for this week's programme, I've come to Herefordshire to find out a little bit more about some of the stories that lie behind these landmarks in our landscape. I'm standing outside the doorway of St Nicholas's Church in the small village of Norton Cannon, and I'm with Prebendary Bob King, that, that is a form of reverend, isn't it? Is. It is. Yes, it Prebendary. is. I'm outside this particular church, but because the theme of this week's Open Country has to do with small rural churches, I was really struck by how many of them there are as I travelled through Herefordshire. Yes. And they are incredible monuments, mm. um, testament to human settlement in a rural landscape. They're very much centre of a community. Yes. You know, often in small villages now, the only thing that is public property is the church, and that's such an important part. And the reason I've come to this particular church is... Well, we've got five bells that have been here since medieval times, and we've made the decision that we're going to tune them, we're going to change them, and we're going to replace our bell frame as well, because the bell frame was beginning to get a bit rotten, and whenever we hit the bells and rang the bells, it rocked, and it rocked the whole tower. So we had to repair the tower, and now we're replacing the bell frame and the bells. And hopefully, we're going to put a sixth bell in as well, because at the moment we have five. And the events that they have been told for in the past? Whenever we have a wedding or a funeral or a service, the bells ring and people know something is happening. I mean, we can see at least, what, five miles away? Yes, you can, Easily. and it's not the clearest of days today, mm. but you can see across the Hay Bluff. You can see right over the River Wye and uh, the valley there. Stunning views. I noticed when I came in towards the church, there's a sign, you know, for the local bells appeal. Yes. £55,000. Well, it's actually 64000 If we're going to have the sixth bell, it will be 64000 And we're almost there. That money has come from grants, but it's come really from the community. We've reduced our costs by between six and £8,000 by local people voluntarily providing labour. Should we go in? And we walk through the main body of through the Through the main body of the church, yes. Yeah. Through, through the chancel and to the bottom of the bell tower. Right. OK, so there's a narrow door that leads in okay. and then a bigger one into... The, this would be the bell pulling room. This would be the bell pulling room, yes. And we step down and there, oh, there are your bells. There are the bells. <gasps> This is Kim, this is our church warden. Hello. Hello, Kim, you and your hard Hello. hat. You're hard at work here. I am. The bells are made of bronze. Are they? Yeah, and the biggest one is half a ton. Half a ton. And so the base of the bell would be about, um, about two and a half feet across. It would. Yeah. And then, so they're all now, they've been brought down from above our heads. Through the trapdoors. Through the trapdoors and onto... This. 
The two, floor? Two chambers. Oh. There's a middle chamber and then the bell chamber. And now there are ropes hanging down from above. Yes. And you are being asked to lift out, you know... This is the old frame that's being cut away at the moment. And it's coming down in segments? In segments. You're hoying it onto your shoulder and taking it outside? Not bad for a little. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the frame that the bells would have rested on? Yes. You can see this yeah. wood has seen a few years. This is wood from, from, medieval, from, the, from medieval times. times, yes. And there's a medieval floor there as well. This room that we are in, the lower part of the tower, is the bell ringing this section. Is the... Because you've got the numbers painted on the walls. One, two, three, four, three, four five. five. Yes. So everybody, the ropes, the yeah. ropes would come down through, through the holes, the holes yeah. in the top there, and you can actually see the ropes uh -huh. hanging. Uh -huh. And then people would stand here and ring, and, and the, the caller would stand and call the changes, and they would ring all the different patterns that you hear. And the bells, made of bronze, they've tarnished green but you can definitely see inscription on them. That biggest one is, come to my call and serve God all. It goes round the top of the bell. Yeah. That's nothing like the way they sound when they're up there with a the, with, with the proper papa <laughs> ringing. <laughs> this is a project that's um, uh, captured the hearts of people you know, right across this part of Herefordshire. Yes. And I'm with my Jones, and you've been very much involved in, you know, telling people about this project and about the church and That's the right. need to save the, the, the bells, really. Very much. I think they're so important for mission in the village, for a start. Um, traditionally, bells have called people to church mm -hmm. for worship purposes. And we've been without these ringing since 2004, when the frame was condemned. So we need to get them going again. And the fact that this, the money to do this was raised from the local community. Yes. That's a very big ask of a small rural church that we are now sitting in the Isle of... Well, it was hard work. We had a sizeable grant from English Heritage and Hereford Historic Churches helped us and many, many other grant-awarding bodies. But in the village itself... People have worked so hard. And if we can possibly do it, we'd like to commission a sixth bell. We only have five here, you see, and the ideal ring is six bells, or eight if you've got a, a huge church, but six for us would be marvellous. And how silent the countryside must have seemed without the toll of the bell. Very. Mm. Many, many people have said, you know, gosh, we miss the bells. We really miss the bells. When are you going to mend them? I never thought I'd see this. But, uh, it, now that it's actually here, it's a wonderful feeling. It's a small rural church with a shrinking congregation. And mm -hmm. that's a picture in many sort of rural churches yes, is, yeah. across the whole of, of the country. So what is this project with the bells... What, what is it saying to us, do you think? I think one of the things it says is that actually, although people maybe don't attend church as regularly as they used to, people are very concerned about the church and the community. And uh, I think community is being expressed, certainly in rural Herefordshire, um, very deeply at the moment. And uh, it's, it's very special. That's a lovely little bank, you know. They, 
the gravel stones there. Yeah, that's right. Well, this is the village of Lentwardine, which yes. is in the very north of Herefordshire, yes. almost on the Shropshire border. That's correct, yes. And I'm with John Williams. And you brought me to this particular point um, because we can just see... That's Across right. the top of the houses there, the tower of St Mary Magdalene's Church. That's right, yes. And we've got Frank Jones with us as well. And Frank was the past warden of the church and you're the current warden. That's right, right yes. So, yes. And we've come out uh, through the village down onto the banks of the River Team. There's a confluence of two rivers here, though, John. And that's the Clun. Coming that's down? That's the Clun coming down there. there. Mm-hmm. And when I look back up to the church, John, you can see how it is on a rise... Absolutely. So they, they, they understood about the rise and fall of the river. Back in the... What are we talking well, about for this? Most of what you can see um, is 14th, 15th century. Mm-hmm. So it's a magnificent building. and the, it, In fact, it's probably built on top of um, both a Norman and a Saxon church on the same site and quite possibly on top of a Roman temple. It's the fact that these buildings are not just about bricks and mortar. They, they are landmarks of settlement in the landscape and they can be dated back, you know, hundreds of years. Absolutely. Like this one here. An amazing community. Frank, the team, is, it's a good um, fishing river, isn't it? It was described in one of the Georgian books as uh, that, that pub over there, the Lion, as a first-class hotel on a second-class trout river. But it's a first-class grading river, because just under that bridge there is probably the best piece of grading water in Europe. And there is a connection between the fishing and the church in that the Tarleton, the Tarleton meets in the Sun Inn. And when Miss Lane, Florence Lane, who is the Chatelaine of the Sun Inn, died, everybody in the pub decided that it would be a good idea to commemorate Miss Lane and have a misericord card. And as you will perhaps see when later on, the grayling and fishing rods form a large part of that wooden tableau to represent Miss Lane. She was a very formidable lady. She never drank herself. She stopped people drinking in her own bar. And as a consequence, Flossie became a local legend. Well, let's go and find out about this misericord. So we walk under a yew tree, past a small collection of graves uh, that surround the church, and then we need to go through this uh, church door. I mean, it's quite simple, um, very, very weathered, and, you know, the great old candles on it. This is a 13th century archway we're going through. And that takes us into the church. Frank was talking about the misericords. Yes. So take me to right. where in the church these are. If we go up Down towards the, the chancel. Ahead of us, you know, the intensity of colour in the stained glass windows, um, yes. the stone arches and the, the, the bare stone facings of the walls. They haven't been plastered over. No. It's still the raw stone. So we'll come into the area where the choir would sing on either side. Um, but where are the misericords? Well, the old ones are here. And a misericord is what? How would you describe it? Well, this was here so that the priests who were singing masses and so on could either sit at certain times, but when they had to stand, they could just rest their bottoms on there so they appeared to be standing. The very word, misericord, Mm. do we know where it comes from? Mm, So it's a medieval Latin description of a piece of furniture, and it means mercy, miseri, seat, cord. 
we have here, it's like a cinema seat principle, yeah. isn't it? Mm -hmm. So it flips down flat like that. Now, it's about uh, a foot and just over a foot long and quite narrow. You can just get your bottom on that. Yeah, yes. It's a bit wider than this, but maybe 18 inches, mm -hmm. I think. So then you lift it up. And you see these. And here you have carvings. a little ledge that they would rest on, but yes. underneath you have carvings. Six of them down of here. Carvings of what on this? Well, they're various biblical scenes in this case. And all in this dark, dark oak. Yes. Okay. At least 15th century. And on the other side is where some new misericords are going to go, because one of which is there already. And, um, and this is the latest carving that's been done in the church, isn't mm -hmm. it, of the lady of Flossie? Flossie. She's the one on the left. Here. The one with the surgical stockings that are rolled down at the ankles. <laughs> and on the right is the famous grayling that we talked about down by the river. Mm -hmm. And the fins <clears> are carved. With this very large dorsal mm -hmm. fin. And then in the middle is the vanity, because that's what misericords are about. They're supposed to talk and describe the vanity of the world and the vanity of people discussing the, the future of the universe over a few pots of ale in front of the fire in the red brick bar of the Sun Inn. These choir stalls were lifted out of Wigmore Abbey days before Thomas Cromwell's commissioners came at the behest of Henry VIII in order to destroy them. So they came here then, and it was work in progress. So that's why those over that side are done, and those over this side aren't. There are six misericords to be carved here, and there are at least another five characters of equal pungency to Miss Lane. But how does this fit into the church? I mean, obviously it's a very costly process. And... Well, it, it is something that has been done for hundreds of years, of having local trades and characters in misericords, they're not all biblical scenes. Uh, some of them are um, quite suggestive as well. But uh, it, it's appropriate that the key characters in the village are here, representing part of our history. So, obviously, I have to come and meet the artist who is responsible for the, the first of the misericords being carved, Andy Pearson. And we've come to your house. You live in the Goggin. Now, that's the name of the valley, isn't that's it, right. in North yes. Herefordshire? Yes. Yeah, it's a brilliant name, isn't it, the Goggin? It's a weird and wonderful place. And up behind your house, you have your workshop, and it's set right. right into the hill. That's right. You can see it's constructed from all sorts of different things. Well, that's you'll see from the inside, it's made out of car tyres. Um, in America, they're called earth ships because you lay down your car tyres, you fill them with earth and ram them hard so that they don't compress, and you build a, a structure, a wall structure, from the car tyres, which is a two-foot-thick wall of earth. And I've rendered the tyres with the, the surface you can see is cob, which is mud and straw, and the straw acts as a binder for the mud. So that's the surface you've put on. I mean, you've... But, oh, yes, yeah, the, listen, the surface you can see... And you can see is, the natural materials is, is in the there. Look, yes, yeah. that you can see That's the straw, straw, clearly. And then uh, finally painted with a, a, lime, a lime wash. And you have double doors at the front here and, and evidence, obviously, straight away of the fact that you are a wood carver because you have yeah. pillars and a lintel here. So let's go in and see... Uh, yeah. And hear your story of, of your experience of the Misericords. And when you come in, I can now see the tyres on the inside. You now see what it's, how it's mm. made. And a little bit of a smell of rubber, not what you expect in a woodcraft workshop. <laughs> the smell of rubber is probably the floor, because the floor is recycled athletics track. 
So, misericords. When did you first see the blank misericords? I moved to this area about 20 years ago, and um, I like visiting churches. I went to Lentodine, and on the South Choir, I saw those. I lifted up the seats, and they're taken from Wigmore Abbey. They're lovely early misericords. I think they're 14th century. And then on the North Choir, I lifted up the seats. It's a solid, uncarved block of wood. Blank. And I thought... This is a dream come true for a woodcarver. And what was it like then, creating Flossie on the on the seat? <laughs> it's a, a nice job for a woodcarver because we believe it's the first new misericord for several hundred years. There were some Victorian replacements in Gloucester Cathedral, but um, as far as entirely new, it's been hundreds of years. Did they bring the seat up to you here? They're removed from the North Choir. I bring it back here and um, normally fix it to the bench so you'll have a hole in the bench there and have something like one of these bench screws which passes through the bench so it's fixed there rigidly and I start chipping away. You have, you know, at least 10 or 15 different sorts of chisels, lovely wooden handles, every single one of them. I have about 250 of these. Um, because you can only carve the shape of that chisel tip. It's like mm. golf clubs. So you select the chisel um, according to what shape you want to carve. This is just the, the, a small selection for this job that I'm on now. When I start the, the misery cord, I'll probably get out, I don't know, there might be 50 chisels on the bench. And is this much as the original ones would have been made on the other side of the church, as it were? Um, pretty well, yeah. Mm. Those chisels would be very similar to these. And really what you're doing is recording our time now, aren't you? And in hundreds of years, people will look at those and be reminded of, you know, rural Herefordshire and the characters Mm. or possibly events that might have happened. That's why I think it's important not to copy existing misery chords because they were satire or recording events of that time. If we just copy them, then we're not fulfilling the role now. We're not recording and we're not satirising now. Um, I think the the best work that's being made at the moment is um, banged up-to-date work, but following an old tradition. You've just got to have the the confidence to go for it, really. My arrival at um, this next church has set off the Canada geese, which are down on the pond below, below the church. And I'm with Peter uh, Baines. Peter, are you coming over the stile as well? Thank you. And I've come um, a little bit further south through the county, down towards Hereford itself, and um, to a hamlet called Brinsop. Brinsop, that's right. And this is your home hamlet, isn't it? It is. Yes. And is this church that we're looking up at now your your church? It is. This is St George's. There was a a church built here in the 12th century because there are parts inside, carvings from the 12th century, but they were... Well, we, we think that church was here, but certainly the carvings were put inside a building which is now 14th century. This is a very neat little church, isn't it? It's, it's smaller than one's visited small, yes, already. It's very small, yes, it is. And a very squat tower. Yes, the tower was put up in the 19th century uh, as part of a sort of quite a sensitive restoration. They built the tower, but the tower it houses three bells, and they are the oldest set of medieval bells in the whole of the Hereford Diocese. So we're in the field just below the church. Yeah, below Why the have you church. brought me here? I brought you here because the, the legend for Herefordshire folklore has decided that this, there is a well here, which used to be a holy well, 
and this well must have been, in, in terms of legend, protected by a dragon because St George is believed to have killed the dragon, not actually in this field, but in the field behind. So one can imagine a sort of major battle uh, between the George and the dragon and George finally being successful in the field called Lower Stanks, which is just the other side of the church. And we're looking at the well. Well, it's, be, it's been capped. It has um, been capped. With sort of modern concrete. And an older stone has been set on the top. Well, there we go, the dragon well. Now, I mean, is there any proof that George slayed the dragon? <laughs> anyway, but certainly in this You're asking me field? to destroy a good story? <laughs> <laughs> no, that obviously the whole St George, uh, you know, he's the patron saint of the country and lots of other countries, but he was um, believed to be a, a Roman soldier from probably about the 3rd century and was uh, a Christian in the army. His father was a, a very well-known general in the, in the time of the Roman Emperor Diocletian. And this was the time of the persecution of the Christians in the Roman Empire before Constantine turned it over. Uh, and he was required to renounce his faith, and he refused to do so, and he was put to death in a very brutal way. So he became a very important saint, and then he emerged, and I think this has relevance to the church, at the time of the First Crusade at the Battle of Antioch, when the Crusaders were... They'd captured Antioch after a nine-month siege, and then they were besieged themselves, and because they were starving and very short of, of supplies and so on, they had to go out and attack a much larger force of uh, Seljuk Turks. And St George was seen in, a, in an image of leading the um, Crusaders, and they, they eventually won that battle, so... Uh, St George became very important from that point onwards. We'll make our way into the church because okay. between us here in the well field where the dragon was slain, mm. as it were, it, it, there's a great um, run of holly trees. Holly trees were um, deemed in, in medieval times and after that to be holy and therefore they weren't to be chopped down. So that's why you tend to see quite large holly trees in, in hedgerows, I think. We'll just come to the entrance. There's a lovely... Um, like a lich gate, but actually it's, it's, it's become a porch at the front of the church. What I would like to show you is um, over in the, uh, which is one of the most uh, important parts of, of the church, is this tympanum here, which normally would have gone over a, the main entrance into a church. And it's but, a carving within the wall. And it is, of course, of St George slaying the dragon. And it, it's interesting because... We know more or less exactly where the inspiration for this particular tympanum came from. And it's related to one of the most important sort of pilgrimage routes in the medieval times, which is still used as pilgrimage route today, and that is to the Church of St. James in Compostela in northwest Spain. Along the route that the pilgrims would have taken is a church in southern France at Parthenay-le-Vieux. And these, the experts believe that the, the, there is a tympanum there of St George and the Dragon, which has provided the inspiration to this one. So it would have been seen by pilgrims who would have been going down from Britain. For such a small building to be connected with other parts of the country, of foreign countries, to be connected with kings and queens and people down through centuries and centuries... Where else do you get that? What other building gives us to that? And here they are dotted across our landscape. Absolutely. And, if you know, obviously, if you look into it closely, there are some tremendous stories attached to, to, to a small church like this. I mean, a church will always be a place of worship for whatever faith. But when you're in sort of isolated rural communities like this, then these places offer more. 
don't they? Well, I think they're very important. Um, I mean, one of the important things in terms of, a, of this community and in most communities, this is the only social building where the community can get together. We've got no school, we've got no pub, we've got no shops. So the big, you know, the services like Harvest Festival and the carol service, and, which draw in a wider section, also are the only community events that we as a small village actually can put on. So it's the only way you get to know your neighbours, really. It's clearly a very important part of people's lives. Imagine looking out across a landscape mm. and there being no spires or towers to spot. It would be very disappointing, wouldn't it? It would be almost desolate, really. You'd not only be taking your churches out, you'd be taking your history and you'd be taking out the important relation that people have to their own ancestors and you'd be taking away half the history of the country, I think.